Hi there and welcome to this which is our last Smart Building Series webinar for 2018 um, and um, I'm really really pleased to have with us today a guy called Chris Pottage from uh, Skanska UK and I will introduce him in a little bit. We're going to be talking about driving sustainable buildings through occupant health and well-being. So it's, uh, it's going to be some really interesting uh, information. Uh, so yeah, stay stay tuned. Um, just some housekeeping from me. Uh, I want to say thank you to our sponsor. This is uh, Haystack Connect. Uh, next year, Haystack, that's uh, Project Haystack, are holding their uh, biannual conference. Uh, and it's going to be on May the 13th to the 15th in uh, California. Uh, if you're interested in, you know, open source semantic tagging for IoT data in the building specific, then please check that out. It's going to be um, a great opportunity to meet people, talk about um, tagging of data and, and all that good stuff as it relates to uh, smart buildings. Um, and also, we are recording this. So um, if you would like to share with colleagues, then uh, either this evening or tomorrow, I'll be putting up the link on SoundCloud and, uh, and it'll be up on our website. So I'll send out the, uh, the link to that. But also, um, uh, you can subscribe to us on iTunes as well. If you search for uh, Smart Building Series uh, through Apple Podcasts, you will find us and uh, you'll get all of our monthly podcasts that way. So without further ado, let me uh, say hi to Chris. Chris, how are you doing? Hi there. How are you? Very well. And uh, as I said, thanks for joining us uh, today. Um, I think this is a super interesting uh, topic about driving health um, through sustainable buildings. And um, I'm going to hand it over to you now. Maybe you can start by just telling us you know, a little bit about what you work with. Okay, great. Thanks very much for the intro and thank you very much for the invite. Obviously, it's um, it's a real pleasure to to be able to talk a little bit about the work that I've been doing and and share it with uh, in these forums. So so thank you for that. I appreciate it. You're very um, Just one, yeah, sorry, sorry, Chris, one thing I forgot to mention. Uh, if anyone has any questions, then uh, please just type them in um, and I'll make sure Chris gets them after his presentation. Thanks. Sorry about that. That's all right. No worries. So my name is Chris Pottage. I work for Skanska UK's environment department. Um, and my role is as a sustainable and healthy buildings officer. As such, it is my role to look for the links between sustainable or green building design and operation and health and well-being outcomes and benefits for occupants. Um, so today I'm going to talk you through a little bit of, um, of the background research um, which has led to the growth of a healthy buildings movement. Then I'm going to talk you through a little bit of my work um, and 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 talk a little bit about the challenges that um, that I am presented with on a on a daily or weekly basis, and to talk a little bit about the the role of the Internet of Things and um, and of technology in um, in enhancing the approach that I'm developing. You might notice that uh, in places I've probably taken what you might term as a slightly analog approach to all of this. Um, 
based on limitations of projects and budgets and so on. So you might look at this as, a, as me identifying a, a need and an opportunity for Internet of Things enabled solutions to really enhance the built environment in terms of the way we manage buildings for sustainability. And then in terms of making recommendations for how we, how we develop our estates strategies and estates investment in the future. So, I'm just going to click on to the next slide. Oh, there we go. So, I've worked at Skanska since around 2011. It was actually summer of 2011 I started. And um, I started really looking into the links between sustainability and energy efficiency, which was my, my background remit. And, and the links with health and well-being of buildings occupants in around 2013 when I wrote my MSc dissertation on the topic. I was very fortunate in, in that by doing that dissertation and conducting um, occupant perception surveys at, at some of our Skanska offices, I, I was then asked to go on secondment in 2014 to the World Green Building Council to produce a report called Health, Wellbeing, Productivity in Offices colon, the next chapter for green buildings. Um, this report received a, a very, very positive response from industry. It, it puts forward evidence for, for the benefits of health and well-being in green buildings, but it also puts forward a framework of metrics for, for making that business case yourself in your own corporation. Um, and as a result of that report, um, the Better Places for People campaign was born um, and, and is still going. So if you look online at betterplacesforpeople.org, you'll find um, a lot of resources and information around health, healthy, health and well-being in green buildings across various sectors. Um, so as I've mentioned today, I'm going to talk to you a little bit about the background and drivers for, for healthy buildings. Um, that will in turn touch on the business case and metrics and how we can use health and wellbeing of occupants to try and enhance returns on green or sustainable buildings. I'll then very briefly introduce you to the well building standard. I suspect many of you will already know what that is, so I won't go into a great deal of detail, but um, I feel that any, any um, presentation around healthy buildings and what constitutes a healthy building would be remiss if it did not um, acknowledge uh, what is probably the most uh, prominent standard globally. Um, I'll then touch upon some of our um, pilot projects that we've been working on with our healthcare clients in our facilities management business and that will lead us into the role of IOT. Um, it's certainly, I, I'll be offering you my take on some pitfalls and challenges that um, that we are presented with in, in considering the role of IOT, um, whereas I would probably be looking more to the audience for the expertise around how to, how to develop and implement those solutions. And finally, I'll look more broadly at the challenges facing the healthy buildings movement. So the reason we are all here, the reason I have the role that I have, and the reason for the growth of interest in, in around health and well-being in buildings is that we are increasingly coming to understand that 
buildings have a, a profound impact on their occupants. This perhaps um, started as a, as a as a counterpoint sort of movement in a, in around the 70s and 80s, 1970s, 1980s, with the realization of sick building syndrome, um, which is the 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 negative impact that a workplace could and and indeed was having on a number of workplace occupants. Um, these impacts, they, they, they manifest themselves in the physical environment, have an impact on, on individuals and humans uh, within a workplace, which in turn can have a knock-on impact on bottom-line organisational finances. Um, there's an awful lot of evidence uh, for these impacts and for these potential benefits. Um, out there but it i suppose it's um this process of developing research and work around healthy buildings has been a process of taking a lot of what is disparate information and putting it into into a, a set of um tangible and coherent resources which might have more of an impact on investment decisions so a bit more around the background and I'm going to go slightly in reverse order here. I'm going to start in, in 2016 and then I'm going to go back to 2014. Um, but in 2016, the, the Stoddart Review, which is a, a facilities management industry report which was launched in the UK, um, made a series of recommendations around workplace effectiveness and, and around how the workplace can impact occupants and the national productivity rate and national economy um, as a result. Um, in that report, they cited that 53% of office occupants state that their office enables them to work productively. That was um, a statistic cited from um, the Leesman Index, which is a global workplace effectiveness survey with an extremely large or, well, a, a, a large and quickly growing database. Um, I think around the time of, of this, this statistic, there were around 200,000 individual responses in around 1,500 office buildings globally. Um, so 53%, it's not bad on one side, but, but of course the, the flip side of that is that 47% of people who work in offices don't think that it enables them to work productively, which is, I mean, to me that seems a little bit ridiculous without, without wishing to, to put too fine a point on it. But if we build office buildings to be productive as an organization and as a company, um, then they must serve the purpose that we build them for. So so, so an unhealthy or unproductive building, in, in my view, is an unsustainable building. Um, the UK, the Stoddart Review actually points out that in the UK, there is, um, there is an 18% productivity deficit with our G7 counterparts, i.e. the, the pro national productivity rate in the UK is 18% below the average of the G7. So if we were able to increase UK productivity by around 1%, we could be looking at you know around 20 billion annually uh, as an enhancement to our economy. Other key messages from the report are as follows. Firstly, there is the, the, the value ratio that comes with buildings and people and organization. People account for around 90% of 
operational costs within within commercial organizations property would account for around seven to nine percent and then energy would would account for around one percent so firstly what i take from that is that at, at around seven to nine percent property whilst not being the biggest cost it is a significant cost base in an organization so we should be managing our workplaces we should be appraising them and managing them to improve their performance on an annual basis. Um, not enough organizations do this. And indeed, one of the uh, issues cited in the study review is that one of the key metrics of, of workplace effectiveness or workplace efficiency, certainly in the UK, is, uh, is the number of people per meter squared or number of meters squared per people in an office so ultimately it's around how many people you can get into a space um, with a presumption that that productivity would would um, would grow exponentially based on the numbers that, uh, that the absolute numbers within there I think this sort of this fails to recognize that some of the key drivers of, of, of productivity being more emotional and coming down to 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 individuals' well-being and um, and perceptions of a workplace and uh, and and indeed how that will have an impact on their uh, on their focus, their concentration, their productivity. Um, so going through the the Stoddart review, some of its key recommendations it points out that while we understand that the office is not the only factor that will impact productivity it is one of the key tools that we have at our disposal at our disposal in terms of being able to manage that productivity in terms of being able to improve that productivity and and impact bottom line business finances and the national economy so the last real key message from the Stoddart review then is that we need to be able to measure effectively the performance of our office buildings in order to be able to manage and improve them. And that then takes me back to, to, to the World Green Building Council report that I was a part of in 2014. Over on the left hand side of this slide you can see um, the, the value equation articulated in a slightly different way here. But once again, we've got a rough ratio of 1% on energy, 9% in this case on rental costs and 90% and on, on staff costs. The finer numbers there might vary slightly, but what's, what's really key is the scale of that ratio. So any energy saving refurbishment project that, that might be carried out to an existing building for an example which looks to save around 40 percent of energy um, which is quite quite ambitious would essentially be affecting 0.4 percent of operational costs now if you were in addition to that energy saving able to demonstrate just a, a 0.5 to 1% improvement in the staff costs then you've either doubled or tripled your returns instantly so 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 the 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 issue then becomes are we able to reliably measure and demonstrate this um in order to 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 really um to really demonstrate those financial returns, which which make investments more palatable to 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 those who make those decisions. So, 
in this in the 2014 report we separated it into two key parts the first part was gathering evidence putting it into one easy to use resource and making it available to a broader perhaps less technical audience the second part of the report was where we tried to encourage organizations to go out and take this information and make their own business cases in their own building. We were quite aware of the disparate nature of, of, of a lot of the research. There is really a lot of research around and some of it really compelling, but there's a great range of situations, there's a great range of metrics, of methodologies, um, of assessments, processes and so on. And indeed there's a great range of outcomes in terms of um, in terms of the benefits or, or not of a, of a healthier building. So we wanted to put something together which, which allows organizations to go out and gather this evidence themselves through using metrics that, you know, in, in, in many cases they will already be applying in, in, in another sense. So we put forward a framework of metrics with three key pillars. Firstly, physical metrics are metrics of the indoor environment uh, or the physical environment, if you will. So, so things such as air quality, noise levels, thermal, thermal comfort or temperature ranges and so on, which can all be measured and, uh, and, and given a finite output. Perceptual metrics is where we really get to ask a direct question to occupants and and ask how they rate physical elements of their office environment and indeed how much they think it, it might affect them. And finally, the financial metrics is where we would look to bring this back to bottom line finances. Um, ideally, that would be through a, through a measure of productivity, but of course, in a certainly in the UK where it, where you know the large majority of our workforce is in a knowledge based industry actually measuring productivity can be very difficult so the financial metrics might simply be pro uh, proxies of productivity or indeed um, financial costs that you can associate to human behavior human well-being and and human outcomes within an organization I think um, one final point on this then was, um, you know, we really wanted to make this as simple as possible so that it would actually be used by corporations. And um, and that was one of the key issues that we found in, in carrying out the research is that, is that, you know, a lot of academic evidence or pockets of industry evidence doesn't always have the, the the influence that you would like it to on decision makers so what better way to influence those those decisions than for organizations to make their own business cases so in um, a little bit of i suppose relatively fortuitous timing around the time that we launched that report which was um september 2014 at Skanska, I was uh, I was going back to to my old role in Skanska or slightly updated role in Skanska, and we were actually just about to move into a new office building. Um, this is called Bentley Works, or the, or the office is it itself is called Neyland's House, and this is Skanska UK's northern hub, and has become one of our green flagship projects. It's a Briam outstanding prefabricated concrete panel 
office construction, which is also Skanska Deep Green, which is Skanska's branded sustainable um, indicator on our projects. Um, this fortuitous timing essentially allowed me to conduct pre-move surveys before that office population moved into the new office, and then conduct post-move surveys around six months after they'd moved in, and then again around 18 months after they'd moved in. And what I did was I integrated this with a with a post-occupancy evaluation process. Um, so I also conducted a, a thorough energy analysis, including weather correction and so on, and calculated um, estimated carbon savings and calculated actual utility cost savings um, for the year 2015 against the baseline year 2013. Um, we also saw from the perception surveys there were some great perceptions and great engagement from occupants. But one of the really interesting things from my point of view was that through carrying out a bit of analysis and, and some pretty conservative estimations, I estimated that there was around about a £28,000 absence saving in 2015 for that office population, which consisted of, of just over 100 people, around between 110 and 115 people um, fluctuating slightly. Um, and this absence saving, as you can see, it the green payback based on utility cost savings and the the green spend on the project which which was about eight hundred thousand pounds was around 11 years and by by factoring in that absence saving we we brought that um that payback period down by three years to just over eight years um and that's just through looking at one of the financial metrics of which there are many so <clears throat> unfortunately at the time we didn't have historical absence data for the for the Bentley or Neelands house office so I had to calculate those savings through looking at looking at an average across a number of Skanska offices and again in a little bit of fortuitous timing another Skanska colleague of mine was was commissioning um, Leesman to to run their survey on five of our UK offices, five of our main UK offices, and on the left hand side of the screen there, you can see the the Leesman scores for each of those offices. Leesman, as I, as I alluded to earlier, is a workplace effectiveness survey. It's an occupant perception survey where occupants rate the importance of the activities that they have to do, and they rate the um, the equipment and facilities that the office provides in allowing them to do that productively. Individual responses are rolled up uh, to to on a on a building by building basis, and and they receive a score out of a hundred. A score of 70 um, receives the Leesman Plus tag, which essentially essentially de denotes a very high quality building. Um, what you can see with the Skanska offices is obviously quite a large range, and actually we've got we've got one office at either extreme of the scale. Um, Neyland's House, the the Bentley project, which I showed you on the previous slide, scored seventy eight point nine, which at that time was one of the highest uh, scores on the entire database. However, 
the medium small office at the top uh ironically the the office that i was based in at that time scored a fairly lowly 39 uh which i i am aware is pretty close to the uh to the bottom of the scale um i am pleased to say however that we no longer occupy that office anyway Looking at this, I had also been looking at the absence for Neelands House and I had calculated an average across those five offices. I then looked at the deviation from that average to calculate a, um, a day's lost per employee per quarter figure um, for all of those um, office, <laughs> for, for all of the occupants of those offices. And as you can see on the right hand side of the screen there there's some pretty significant inverse correlation in fact the worst office has has absence around nine times higher than the best office and indeed the best office has much lower absence than than all of the other offices so this for me was real real food for thought and 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 really gives us a um something to get our teeth into in terms of investigating this relationship of course um i wouldn't i wouldn't be so bold as to say that that, that correlations such as this would would demonstrate any kind of causal link but what we what we have seen as we've gone gone through our investigations is more and more correlations like this Okay, so moving away from my work for a moment, um, I'd just like to 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 give a nod, I suppose, to the well building standard, which is probably what we what what I would see as the most prominent benchmark of what constitutes a healthy building um, at the moment. Um, the well building standard is 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 similar to a lot of environmental rating systems such as LEED or BRIAM um, in that it, it places design and build requirements on a building um, in, the, in their case to, to ensure better or lower environmental impact. However, the, way, the reason well stands out is because it really puts humans uh, at the center of the design process. So this is a building standard which rates how good it is for the people who occupy it. Um, a secondary function is certainly to cross over and to work in harmony with, um, with environmental standards, but its primary goal is to prioritize the person and the health and well-being of the occupant and to promote health lifestyles for those occupants. Another key feature of WELL is that there is a, a real focus on operation and actually you have to recertify a WELL-certified building every three years. Therefore, it is not possible to go through a design process, tick a number of boxes, receive a certification at handover stage and then forget about it. Your building has to be managed and maintained to, to, to retain the, the levels of quality that have been specified by the standard. Now, well, has grown um, fairly quickly in the last four or five years. Indeed, it, uh, it actually grew its first two years out um, after its launch. It actually grew quicker than LEED did uh, over the corresponding period after its launch. Um, and I would say that it really captures the imagination. Um, certainly, in terms of benefits for the tenant, um, we know that health well-being and productivity improvements within your organization 
promotes uh, better brand publicity. It promotes a value-driven approach to doing business. And um, in turn, it can improve your business performance. Um, and for the developer, we believe that, that this should lead to better rental yields, higher occupancy rates, and higher asset values. However, this this value chain is slightly fragmented in, in our property markets. And what we find is often, certainly with a core and shell or a, or a cat A project, the, the cost and risk associated with pursuing a standard such as well is is very much front-end loaded and uh, and it falls on the owner and the developer whereas the benefits the outcomes the productivity and the and the the value enhancement and brand enhancement is is predominantly uh, <laughs> predominantly enjoyed by the tenant so one of the issues that we probably need to think about in terms of healthy buildings and moving forward is 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 how to address that fragmented value chain However, despite of that, on the right-hand side, you can see from the graphic, it says there are actually 962 well projects registered. Um, I have to confess that this, this graphic is slightly out of date, and actually the 1,000th project was registered uh, in early October, and, and indeed we're pushing up to that 200 million square foot mark now. One of the... <clears throat> key issues with well and key deterrence as i as i mentioned it's this um slightly fragmented value chain and the and the potential risk involved with with pursuing a well project what this does is it makes well i suppose firstly it can be quite expensive firstly in terms of um registration fees but secondly in terms of the design or the quality uplift that you might need to implement to your design or to your build in order to achieve the standard the result of that is that even with a thousand or so registered projects the well building standard or well certified buildings are not likely to account for the majority of workplaces for quite a long time if at all so one of the one of the issues that troubles me with healthy buildings is how do we make this available to everyone regardless of um regardless of whether you are part of that fortunate few who who occupy a, a kind of prime high end well certified office space and to me, the answer lies in the way that we operate and manage buildings. So moving on then, I was just doing a time check there, so I've got about, about 10 or 11 minutes left of talking. So moving on then, um, after our discoveries around the correlation between building quality or the leaseman scores and absence, we started to look at how we can how we can deliver this in 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 other environments and and how we can work with our clients to develop this this understanding and this ability to manage the to manage a space in terms of both energy but also in terms of its indoor environment quality and its human outcomes. So we devised um, or I devised an energy and healthy buildings audit program which I was able to piggyback on a waste audit program in in some of our um, healthcare customers estates as such we had people going around every room in 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 our customers hospitals 
um, checking on waste compliance, um, so checking what's being put in which bins and where. And that gave us an opportunity to, to ask the auditors to, to start to develop um, perception audits. So I created um, a survey for them, which was um, was put onto an iPad so they could uh, essentially just input the data. And they were asked to rate indoor environment quality or health, uh, give a healthy building rating based on how they rate air quality, noise levels, thermal comfort, lighting, daylighting, and so on, and to rate energy efficient behavior. So are the lights on but nobody's in the room or there's electronic equipment on and no one in the room or there's cooling on in summer and a window open, for example. And each of these responses had a weighted, uh, had a had a weighted impact on the scale, um, which which rolled up into the um, into the audit ratings. So by doing this, we were able to provide a, a rating for every single room. We could roll it up to uh, to the whole hospital level, break it down by department, by ward, by block, by individual room, by month, and and by year, and so on. We were then able to use this to give us indications of. Um, of where there were environmental problems within the hospital and then use indoor environment quality monitors to confirm or, or falsify those perceptions. We then worked with the trust um, to try to access some of their financial and human metrics and used all of this information in integration to draw conclusions and recommendations on A, how to manage the building and B, on future investment in the estate. So what you can see here is a, is a, is a basic roll up of the energy score and the healthy building score and that is averaged to a combined score that is on the chart on the left hand side and then on the on the lower right you can see ratings by block where the, the same information is broken down by by block location and then you can see at the top there are a number of tabs this is on a, um, on a power uh, on a, an excel um, power bi output there's a number of tabs you can click on them and um, and drill down to the individual um, scores for each room or ward or whatever you may want to do. So in doing this we found a number of patterns and one of them is what we saw in ward five and six or wards five and six uh, which is looking at the trust's absence rate and absolute absence cost for the last 12 months we found there were certain wards that had particularly high absence and particularly low energy and healthy buildings rating and what you can see there for wards five and six you have the air quality biophilia daylight and so on um, ratings for, for for that whole ward as, a, as an average. And you can see there are a few prevailing issues, i.e. air quality is poor. Uh, there's not a lot of biophilia, biophilia being, um, be, being plants or nature. There's a real issue with thermal comfort and indeed the lighting, the, the internal lighting system is, is, is not deemed to be particularly good. Um, if we then roll that down to all of the rooms within that ward, we see another interesting pattern. What you see there is 
a lot of the same prevailing indoor environment issues, i.e. poor air quality, poor thermal comfort and so on. But we see that there are a number of rooms within the ward that, that sit above the, the zero axis and, and a number that sit below. And actually, when we look a little bit more closely, we can see that, um, that actually those that sit above the axis are largely patient areas and those that sit below are largely staff areas. Now, of course, it's an entirely justified approach for, for an NHS trust to, to, to put most of their effort into improving the patient areas within a hospital. But this, this made me ask myself the question, well, if these are the people that are providing the care, if we are investing in them and in their comfort, would they not therefore pro provide better care as a result, i.e. their well-being and their productivity would improve, which could have a tangible outcome for the, for the NHS trust. And of course, in the NHS, as soon as we start to talk about absence costs, <clears throat> And further still start talk about start to talk about patient stays within a hospital and how we can affect that. We start to see some serious potential financial benefits. Um, so this was a um a pattern that we we found not just in wards five and six but across a number of the wards. And um actually what I managed to deduce from the 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 absence data was that the top five wards for for absence cost accounted for about half a million of the 1.15 million annual absence cost um, and these wards all also had poor energy and healthy buildings ratings so we're seeing that the the environmental audits are telling us that these are the worst places in the hospital they're actually staff areas and what we are also seeing is that the absence rates in those areas is higher than in the rest of the hospital that um that uh, 1.15 million cost was across, I think it was 23 or 24 wards. So we can see that the, the, for the for the top five to account for nearly half of that, that's um, that's pretty significant. So as part of this program, there are a number of what I would describe as common sense findings. That essentially, by looking at energy information and looking at comfort-based information, we, we start to see issues which are affecting the indoor environment, they're affecting the user experience, and they're affecting energy usage. So if we're going to invest in improving this estate, that is where we would achieve the most value. Um, and we found some 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 fairly fairly simple recommendations which could make a make a, a significant difference. For example, we found very low humidity in certain wards, and on further investigation, we discovered that this this is likely to be a result of um, individual standalone air conditioning units being being added in a in an ad hoc manner. Um, to the space without integrating it with the, the 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 existing services, so the existing heating and cooling system, that really dries out the air. It also really wastes energy because we're we're heating air that we've cooled and we're cooling air that we've heated. But what it also does is is it dries out the air. It causes itchy eyes, itchy skin, rashes, dry, tickly throats. It it really causes a comfort issue. We found many many examples of poor thermal comfort that was entirely avoidable. We found a lot of issues with the ambient lighting and actually as part of the audits we also discovered that over 60% of the hospital rooms 
had no window, no external windows at all. And of course, that made me start to think about the logic of it. And of course, when you think about the way hospitals are often set out and they're quite deep buildings, that, that is probably not that surprising. But what that tells me is your electronic lighting system becomes vital in a, in a, in a building without any windows because the, the spectrum of light that that provides must be sufficient to support the human circadian rhythm, which is very closely linked to sleep patterns. Um, we also found a number of easy wins and set forward enhanced business case for our for our energy conservation measures. They were essentially based on the criteria that they would pay back in, in energy terms within five years, but that we could also look to demonstrate enhanced returns through the uh, through the human benefits. So moving on then we, we we've now repeated um the first part of this program in a, in another healthcare estate we've updated our data model um to to the powered bi dashboard uh we've got you know nearly 44,000 data points over nearly 3,000 lines and 15 categories um which is providing us very detailed locational data on the indoor environment and and the the issues um that that come within that um indicators of energy efficient behavior you know um are certain teams and departments uh, embracing the need for energy efficiency more than others and so on and we're able to rate that on a scale um, and provide visualized outputs. Without going into too much more detail about this project, we've started to look at some of this, the, the similar data streams. And on this chart, you can see up the y-axis on the left, we've got absence cost. And on the x-axis across the bottom, we've got the healthy buildings rating. And once again, we've seen some pretty interesting patterns, i.e. A lot of the wards with the highest absence costs also have the lowest healthy buildings ratings. So what can we do with this information? How can we use what we know about the built environment and and the the ability to monitor it that, that, that technology is now giving us to better understand this relationship and to manage it? Of course, just uh, for, for the sake of objectivity, I should point out that it doesn't all fall in a perfect line. Um, there are some some outliers, so to speak. But once again, that's part of the challenge to to myself and my colleagues to 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 develop our expertise and in and develop solutions to move all of these areas in a in a southeasterly direction on that chart. So moving on ultimately to 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 the role of iot i think you know looking at healthy buildings you could probably um currently separate them into two two broad categories one is well certified um there are not currently a huge amount of those that are that are operational um but there is a growing amount and there and there there will that will continue to grow but there's also existing buildings and i feel like there's a huge amount we can do as uh, as as built environment professionals and as facilities managers to to improve the way we operate building operate buildings and i believe that um that the iot has a huge part to play in that so just um, moving on to some of the, the, the pitfalls and challenges then, 
I think, as I've mentioned previously, I'm not I'm not a tech whiz. I'm a I'm an environmental professional who who majors in in health and well-being of, of building occupants. So I'm sure there's a lot of people on online who can tell me more about this than I than I know. <clears throat> However, some of the pitfalls that that I've come across as we've been looking to implement technologies in our sites is, you know, be, being clear on the objectives and scales of what you would like to do. Um, thinking about the limitations of the technology of the and of the security of your own server what what we have found has been preferable when we put monitors in place uh, we learned this the hard way is actually to use um, mobile 3g or 4g internet connections rather than try to try to um, put one of these devices on our server because our IT guys see that as a, as a serious security risk um, of course, one of the <laughs> one of the issues I had early in 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 my work was I spent a long time going out and 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 finding and collecting data, and then um, and then suddenly found that actually once you start to successfully collect uh, multiple data streams, you need to think about how you're going to own collect own and collect it, process it, analyze it, and report on it. And of course, in an ideal world, a lot of this will be automated by software, algorithms, and so on. Um, but we have to start somewhere. And, and, and at the moment, it's a slightly more clunky process than that. Um, if you are looking at the physical environment and making comments on health and well-being of occupants, you need to be very clear in your messages, the actions you take as the result of the information you find, um, and which opportunities you you, you look to build upon. Um, as such, there is an ethical issue there. And finally, from my point of view, I would say, you know, as a <laughs> As a as a builder, as a as a guy who works for a, a building company and a development company, we want to buy an end-to-end -end product. We don't really want to buy a monitor from one guy and then go and buy a software solution from another guy and a maintenance package from another, uh, and then sort of jum jumble it together ourselves. Um, so that's really one of the, the the challenges I would put out there. And just taking a step back, this is my final slide. Um, I think broader challenges to to healthy buildings and the healthy buildings movement, as I highlighted earlier, it's that fragmented value chain. If we if we're expecting one party to invest, how are we ensuring that they that they that they receive some benefit from that investment and thus incentivize that investment? <clears throat> how do we promote healthy workspaces for the majority of people? As I say, well buildings are fantastic, and and the well standard is a is a really aspirational and and in innovative standard. Um, however, it, it's not going to apply to most buildings anytime soon. So, so how can we look at our operational strategies to, to provide healthy buildings for all people and all workplaces? Within that, technology has a huge role to play, as does the and processing and interpretation of that data in order to develop effective operational solutions, which, which are sustainable in that they, they save energy and reduce carbon impact, but also are sustainable in that they support the, the people, the occupants of a building in carrying out the task that, that they are there to carry out. Okay, and that is all from me. Uh, I must apologise. I, I went slightly over time there, James. But um, but over to you for some questions. Yeah, not at all. I think that I think everyone 
would have really appreciated um, that, and I know I did. Thanks for thanks for that presentation. Um, some super interesting uh, things to discuss now. So yeah, as Chris said, if you have any questions for him, um, fire away. We've got got a good few minutes to, to go over some of what he talked about. Chris, maybe we could just go back to the previous challenges slide. I mean, I um, sure. I, I totally um, echo some of the points you made. You know about fragmented value chain, etc. Um, really, really, uh, really uh, profound points. Um, I was um, interested, you know, some of your earlier slides, you talked about um, absent savings. And I thought, you know, that struck a chord with me because I, I guess that's one way of measuring productivity in a sense, right? Or at least trying to um, understand how, in inverted commas, you know, well your building is. Do you use um, on like, you know, on a, um, a frequent basis, other metrics that you use to kind of measure um, value of building. I mean, I think there are the the, the, the I suppose the the framework of, of metrics provides a, a fairly standardised approach, but the metrics within that approach might vary according to the uh, according to the organisation. Um, so, for example, absence is 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 probably one of the easier ones to to pin down. There are certain causes of absence which which we know can relate to a, to an indoor environment or to a building um, and so we can make that link that way and of course there is a, a direct link to finances another um, another key metric um, without getting into to measuring employee performance and so on might be looking at or, or certainly is and the key cost is looking at things like um, recruitment and training costs so so in a world where um where talent is is so sought after there's a there's a number of factors which presumably contribute to 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 the decision of a of a young talented professional to work for one company over the other and i i i believe that the indoor environment and offices are, are, you know, are becoming one of those factors. Of course, I, I understand that salary and uh, organisational culture and so on um, also play a big part. But I, I certainly, you know, I wouldn't want to work for a great company in a rubbish office. So staff training recruitment costs they can really amount to a lot across uh, across large corporations especially the training side of things so i would say that is a, another obvious one in healthcare obviously i alluded to um to patient metrics um obviously you've got i suppose in in a lot of hospitals you have a have a staff cost for the for the staff that is employed by them, but you also have a have an absence cost for the for the agency staff that you need to employ to cover your absence staff. Um, further to that, obviously, patient metrics um, are very closely linked to finances within the NHS. So if you are able to start to demonstrate that you can get patients in and out of a certain ward slightly quicker, there's a, there's definitely a, a financial benefit to that. Mm -hmm. Yep. Well, good stuff. Um, I better get on with some uh, some questions here from the audience. We've had quite a few come in. Um, first one: Have you looked at the increased building value and lease potential with health and well-being programs? 
have you seen a causality there? Not, um, not a huge amount to date. Um, it's funny, I touched upon exactly that in relation to sustainable buildings in my in my dissertation a few years ago. And and, and what we find is, you know, that 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 is essentially the, the theory that the 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 buildings that have achieved the higher ends of green rating systems, so your LEED Platinums or your um, BRIAM Outstandings and so on, should in, in theory have a higher a higher asset value, higher rental yield, higher occupancy rates. And I remember concluding in my dissertation there was um, there was some evidence of that, but it, it but it was you know it was still a little bit early in terms of getting an, enough certified buildings operational and then getting the data from those buildings to draw those conclusions and i think um with health and well-being in buildings it's exactly the same problem um okay so there's around a thousand projects registered for well certification at the moment but um to be honest off the top of my head i'm not sure of the exact number of certified projects to date but it's it's in the lower hundreds i would say so um it's sorry i can you it's okay. remind me it's, it's so it's an it's an issue basically about connecting this you know um, uh, yeah tenant, so tenant yields to to a healthy so we haven't yeah we haven't got that many operational well buildings at the moment so so it's very difficult to access those data sets until they exist and i would certainly expect to see that that is certainly what the industry expects to see and the expert expect to see the the the, the increased asset values and rental yields but i haven't personally seen any evidence of that to date okay um and then a question specific to so the the hospital example you you gave um does this relate to nhsi's model hospital i'm not sure what that is but maybe you've heard of it <laughs> funnily enough no no it doesn't um and, and nor have i to be totally <laughs> honest uh next question bsi are doing something on iot standards um what are the issues in the absence of such standards so I, I, I guess it's more of a tech question, isn't it? But I mean, are you? Um, do you think there is a an issue with being an absence of standards for some of the technology that you see? Yeah, and uh, funnily enough, I actually gave a presentation to the to the BSI a few weeks ago on on exactly that. And and of course, if we can, in, <clears throat> the the way we can monitor indoor environments can can vary hugely in terms of uh, accuracy and in terms of cost. <clears throat> You can buy monitors. Um, actually, on the slide, you can see there the two images at the top. I think that's a cube sensor and a and a Netatmo. You can buy those for less than two hundred pounds and stick stick them in your office or in your house, <coughs> and they will give you some indications of the indoor environment quality. But what they often tend to do is use one parameter as a proc as a proxy for another. So, for example, I believe the cube sensor measures CO two and uses it as a proxy for for volatile organic compounds or or vice versa mm. um so what that means is actually you're taking information and and you're talking about the health of occupants here now that i would say is a very useful indicator it's a very useful tool for a for a domestic application or for a small scale commercial application as long as the as long as the protagonists understand the the, the limitations of the technology 
At the other end of the scale, you've got well performance verification, which which would involve um, a few people in white coats coming out with a with a load of sampling equipment and and taking samples and sending it to labs and and conducting far more thorough testing of the indoor environment. So when we come to talking about standards, about monitoring technology, I would say that that is the big issue. So. For example, I wouldn't say that I'm not aware of a, a monitor that could currently be used to satisfy the rigor of the well performance verification tests, i.e. That, that process of, of technicians coming out and taking taking samples. So so I would say that is the issue. We need to we need to understand what we are measuring and then we need to understand how we can best go go about measuring that um in a in a, in an immature and and probably fast developing market that that certainly does leave some pitfalls when we are talking about that um health and well-being topic mm -hmm. uh some just kind of trying to get through these questions before we finish uh, next one okay. um uh, have you been able to sort of establish um, what the impact or the percentage impact of indoor air quality is on people's productivity? Um, it's very specific, but I, I don't know if there's... Yeah, I mean, um, I, I, I suppose there's many answers to that question. You could talk about it in terms of health risks and um, and how it would how it would link to cancer and heart disease and 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 things like that mm. um in terms of in terms of a scalable productivity improvement then then no i think you'll probably find that it will have different impacts in different settings and certainly on different disciplines as well you might find that air quality for example, is much more likely to negatively affect the productivity of a receptionist or a or a CAD technician than perhaps it might do for an engineer who's used to used to muddy boots and uh, and a site office. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, one here about um, perception of well-being and and, and um, enabling work productively. Um, as as rightly points out, the person who poses this question, they're very subjective. Um, is benchmarking therefore a challenge, or is that one of something you find challenging? Yes, I think um, I think it can be, um, and there's different ways of doing it. I suppose you could uh, you could do it in a bespoke survey, as 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 I had done in. Um, in the case study example that I showed you, but also a lot of organisations have a, a well-being related question in their in their kind of annual um, employee surveys. So if you're able to break that annual employee survey data down by building, then you can probably find some fairly information, uh, fairly interesting information in terms of the correlations between those well-being scores and the buildings that those that those occupants occupy. Mm -hmm. Uh, is Skanska doing anything to utilize uh, IoT or sensors from the construction side to actually build smarter um, and then measure from the start? Yes, um, we are. That isn't necessarily my uh, my area of, of expertise, but we yeah we we embrace a lot of um, technology developments in, but both in the way we we design buildings, but also in in the way that we um, manage construction sites and right, assets yeah. and so on. And they, so. they kind of have a follow up question with this as well about um, how do you expect to track 
data from life cycles perspective. And I think that's also a, an, a really interesting trend within the, the industry, you know, about like how we could do a much better job of looking at the whole life cycle of the building and perhaps be able to um, provide a lot of not just pre-occupancy data, but post-occupancy as well. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, um, you know, the fund fundamentals of sustainable buildings for me and healthy buildings for me is uh, is that you need to concentrate on the, the operational phase of that life cycle just as much as you do on the design and the construction. Um, and that's still sort of been an issue in the past, hasn't it? I mean, do you, do you yourself feel that that is changing now? Is the industry making a concerted effort now to think about post-occupancy more? <laughs> um, yes and no. I think in 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 pockets, yes, but um, but I'm not totally I'm not totally convinced that that is the case. Mm -hmm. um, but um, but yeah, I, I would say certainly in in pockets, I have seen that. And and what's really refreshing about linking sustainability to health and well-being is that there is much more of that. that focus on operation so so you could say for example in pockets such as the well building standard you can see that there really is that focus on yeah, operation absolutely yeah final question for you chris um have okay. you done any comparable research uh, i guess looking so you when you did the healthcare stuff do you have anything comparable on uh, residential multifamily buildings or do you know of anyone who's done i personally don't but um so 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 I mean, Skanska UK are not active in residential markets currently. So, so while we haven't got too involved in the health and well-being in in homes side of things, the Better Places for People um, campaign, which is which is the World Green Building Council Healthy Buildings report, they've got a residential section. There's retail, there's commercial buildings, and there's residential. So there's there's a number of reports on there. There's um, a lot of resources, information, um, summaries, and and um, yeah, evidence of the of the impacts both on on occupants of residencies, but also the the communities around those um, those those re residential developments. Mm -hmm. So my recommendation would be to look on betterplacesforpeople.org and Great. you'll find some very interesting information there. Thanks, That's, um, that is a uh, good link and a good place to finish up. Um, is there um, a way that people could ask you questions if there's anything that they wanted to follow Absolutely. up? Absolutely, yeah. I mean, I'd be happy to share my my um, contact details through through you james um okay yeah so you can contact yeah. us at um at memory support at memory.com or uh, you know through linkedin and through our website um, absolutely and my, my yeah my email address is chris.pottage at skanska.co.uk so um, do feel free to get in touch yeah and um again as, as i said earlier this is being recorded so we will be um posting the audio and uh, and chris's slides as well on our website um, either this evening or probably uh, tomorrow. Um, so, yeah, it just remains for me to say thanks very much, Chris, um, and also to our, our sponsor as well, Haystack Connect. Um, yeah, Chris, really appreciate you taking the time to do this, and I know um, that uh, I'm sure our audience really appreciated it too. Thank you. Fantastic. Thanks to you as well. Yeah, and thanks to the audience, and um, wish everybody a uh, good end to the year um, and a uh, happy holiday period, and look forward to um, seeing everybody uh, in the new year. Thanks very much.